Welcome to this episode of The Curious Mind. I'm your host, Sylvester. And I'm Mike. Today's episode, uh, we welcome uh, Steve Hancock, um, our new head of school, talking about his journey to that role and um, his experience in education, um, and his love of barbecue and, and things <laughs> like that. Uh, it was a great conversation, just getting to know um, the head of school. He's kind of had to dive into that position and deal with a pandemic and then also just some social justice aspects and he's been around but Mike was there anything about this great conversation that uh, you liked or took away from it yeah it was really just his journey here you know I think like you said he had to jump right in when he got here um, I think typically I mean I don't have experience but I would think a normal first year would be a lot of observation yeah. and just kind of get the lay of the land um, and then instill some changes, maybe year two, year three, after you kind of understand uh, what's going on. But really, he had to jump in, even remote. I mean, he was working from Memphis yeah. um, because of the pandemic, because of the social justice issues. And I, I really think he, he jumped right in. So I just enjoyed getting to know him more, mm-hmm. um, his path here, his experience in education. Um, even as a high schooler, when he started as an educator, yes. which is a great story as yes. well. Um, but really, just getting to know him more, and I and I feel really confident, and I and I'm happy he's here. But I feel like the school is in a really good place with him at the helm. But what about you? What was your big takeaway? It's just great to hear anyone's story. I'm always fascinated by a person's journey into the leadership role, and it just seemed like he was very good at picking the, the appropriate next steps along his journey and know, knowing what he wanted and you know uh, you know it worked out the universities that the university school position became open and he was able and you know able to serve in that capacity and take on that take on this role so it's been great um, just kind of observing him around campus and interacting with students and faculty um, you know we're looking forward to his leadership kind of as we move um, uh, through this pandemic. Past, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully past this yeah. pandemic. But yeah, it's a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it. And here it is. So in today's episode, we are honored to be joined by um, University School's ninth head of school, Steve Hancock. Steve, how are you doing this morning? Great. Excited to be here. Happy to be here. Uh, Looking out my beautiful window onto those students walking around the circle. Oh, excellent, excellent. Um, you know, you've been in the position for a couple of months, but we want to take some time to introduce you to our listeners, learn more about kind of your background, um, your roots, and stuff like that. Um, you're from Wisconsin originally, correct? That's right. I grew up uh, down the road in Waukesha, went to Waukesha South High School. And what was that experience like growing up in, as a Wisconsin kid? Uh, I grew up in a very um, kind of middle-class family, I guess you'd say. My dad worked night shifts on a printing press, and my mom worked in the mailroom of uh, American Family Insurance. So um, I think for them, education was the most important thing. So they always made sure we had, my brother and I had everything we needed to try to be able to succeed and thrive. Um, I early on kind of gravitated towards uh, playing the violin and playing tennis and trying to be a good student. So trying to navigate those three things all the way uh, through elementary school through high school. And Steve, are you still playing the violin? I, I am still playing the violin. And uh, I was just playing with my son a day or two ago. He's the real violinist now in the family. 
but he does let me play along with him now. And I was his teacher to start with for, for seven years. That's great. Cool. And so you mentioned your son, um, your wife, Stephanie. You, you have um, any other um, family members that yeah. joined in with, back in Wisconsin? Yeah, so uh, my daughter, who's a senior in college right now, she transitioned with us over to Wisconsin, but she's now back at Oberlin College finishing up her senior year. Okay, cool, cool, excellent. So, um, you know, after after Waukesha and, and you're interested in violin, um, you did you initially out of college go right into education as a teacher or did you uh, um, uh, go the performance route? What, what happened after your college career? Well, let me back up just for a second. In my junior and senior in high school, I thought for sure that I was going to be a pediatrician. Oh, really? Um, I had made application. In fact, I was accepted into this program called Target MD, which back, as I say, back in the day, was a program that um, if you got admitted to it and kept your grades up, automatic admission into medical school and 100% scholarship. Wow. So I got that um, going into my senior year and was excited to be doing that. But one uh, day, in orchestra class, we had a series of long-term subs and the orchestra teacher didn't show up. The substitute didn't show up. So the kids said, why don't you get up and lead the class? And so I did. And I did that for a whole week, this big public school, no one noticed. Uh, and I was the teacher of the class for the week. And um, at the end of that week, somehow administration found out and I remember very clearly that principal of that high school calling my parents and saying that uh, they'd love to have me be the substitute of the class. They'd hire a substitute to sit in the back but have me kind of lead the orchestra during this time. And um, so I did and I found that I loved it and I broke my parents' heart and told them that I wasn't gonna be a doctor and I wanted to go into music. So that was quite a, quite a 360 switch on them. Uh, so I went to Lawrence University where I majored in both violin performance and music education and um, had a great time there. Uh, learned a lot about teaching, about playing music. And I started my, my first job was in Naperville, Illinois. And um, I taught at a public school there, started their spring program from scratch, and uh, then played my violin at night. And I played probably six nights a week um, in orchestras around the Chicago area. So it's a very busy, busy time. I did that for maybe, I did the, the kind of full-time playing like that for about three years. And then I had to pare it down a bit. So that's kind of my path after, after Lawrence. And, and Steve, do you miss any of those uh, performances, the, the six nights a week uh, and bouncing all over and life on the road? Um, does, is there any part of you that wishes you could go back to that just for a little bit? Uh, I kept, I've kept performing, uh, not to that level, but I've been from, performing all, last year I was performing jobs. Um, uh, and I imagine I'll start performing again at some point when when things go back to a bit normal and my schedule slows down a little bit, but 
yeah, I do miss, I do miss. And I probably live vicariously now through my children, which I think a lot of parents maybe do, but I like to go to concerts now a lot as well. Right. I'm just curious, did they ever figure out what happened to the substitute teacher that was supposed to come in and <laughs> teach the class or? <laughs> well, my, my, te- my orchestra teacher we loved went out on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And to be, to be honest, looking back on it now, we were brutal on the, the substitutes who came into the classroom. And so there was a series of people who were hired to do the whole maternity leave that quit after a little while. Usually they told the administration they were quitting. This time he just didn't show up. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> kudos to you and your classmates for identifying you and then having you teach that class. I, I, I'm, that's funny to think of you teaching a class for a week and then administration finding out and going like, oh, well, let's just. <laughs> I know. I, I believe there were like 800 kids in my graduating class. So I mean, it was a very large school at that time. So, And so then um, you, you spent some time out in New Jersey. Well, you were in Atlanta first um, at the Westminster schools and then some time out at Princeton Day School as an assistant head for academic leadership and also head of the middle school. Tell us about that time out on the, uh, out on the East Coast and what that experience was like for you as an educator, as an administrator, and then just for you and your family. Yeah, we, we made the leap into independent education down to the Westminster schools in Atlanta. And while I was there, I really wanted to be involved in some of the bigger conversations of school life. And I knew I was gonna have to go someplace uh, to get that experience. My brother was living in Princeton at the time with his family. And out of the blue, I got two calls the same day about this, this opportunity in Princeton. And, um, you know, it, it was very quick timeline from getting the first call to being offered with the position. Uh, the East Coast is very different than what we've experienced in the Midwest and, and in the Southeast. Um, people in general were, were very direct. We never had to guess what, what people were thinking or where they stood. Um, and it was a very, uh, education is really the business of Princeton, the town of Princeton. Not only is the university there, but the college board is there. So the home of the SAT tests and the AP exams. And many of the families at the school uh, worked in education in some way. So I think there was a very high expectation and that, that was a, that was a good learning curve for me and a good way to, um, uh, to build a lot of connections that would last even to this day for me, people in the world of education. Uh, I started off as a middle school head and a couple of years in, was asked to also be the assistant head for academic affairs and um, I, I did both those jobs. Uh, that was tough doing both those jobs and I think they hired three people when I left. So. Uh, <laughs> like a lot of independent school folks, we have to wear a lot of hats and then those hats grow and um, other, other people come on board to help out. And you said it was a, a quick turnaround, Steve, and we'll talk in a little bit about your transition to USM, but because you had a little more familiarity with our school, but what did you know about Princeton coming into it? Um, did, were you familiar with the school at all or, or even what surprised you when you got there? Yeah, so uh, Princeton 
was a part of an organization called JRPO, which then morphed into becoming Index. And so Westminster is a member of Index, Princeton is a member of Index, and USM is also a member of Index. So it's about, about 50 schools of like size around the country who share information and share resources. And, and um, so I knew Princeton Day School a little bit through that organization. And, um, you know, Princeton Day School is a unique school because um, it's, uh, when you hear Princeton Day School, you almost immediately think excellence because of the word Princeton. It's the only independent school in the country that has, uh, that, you know, has a university name. Now there's Harvard Westlake School, but that's two names, right? And it's not even where Harvard is. Princeton is planted three miles from the university. And so I think there's a, there's a romantic nature of hearing that name Princeton associated with an independent school. And that, that did draw me in. And what I found was a really, a really excellent school that to be honest is so many ways is similar to USA in, in some kind of interesting way. So uh, it's one of the only schools around with the hockey rink, just like USA. The entire school is under one roof, like USA. The, the, the population is like within 100 students of each other. Um, the way world language is taught is exactly the same. Um, so there, there are a lot of similarities that, that helped me in the, I think in the comfort level transition here, a lot of things felt familiar and, um, and, and maybe comfortable because of that. And Steve, I'm curious because you, you've done a lot of work with you know, middle school age children. Um, what, has been, um, what has it been like you know, working, teaching that age of students? Everyone says, still talks about how hard middle school can be at times, but um, what was your experience kind of navigating or helping students navigate that that time in their lives. Yeah, it's a it's a tumultuous time, and it's a time that I love. And as a music teacher, I had the great advantage of teaching three year olds through twelfth grade for about twenty five years. So I had that kind of full gamut experience. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was really drawn to middle school. Also, I think my mom when I first told her I was gonna be a middle school principal or middle school head, um, she thought it was uh, because I was trying to seek vengeance on my middle school years, <laughs> which, were, which were tumultuous in their own way. Yeah. Uh, and so that she may, be, she may be onto something there. I think uh, I wanted to make an experience in middle school uh, where I could kind of define my own philosophy of the way education should go in my opinion, which is unless kids feel safe and valued and celebrated and known, if those four things aren't present, then learning can't take place. I really believe it. If you don't feel safe, you're, if you feel lonely, if your voice can't be heard, um, people aren't motivated to try to learn. And so middle school is a prime example when you leave the kind of cuteness of lower school and maybe the more academic rigor of upper school, you're left with this middle school time where we need to really work on that social emotional health of students, helping them know who they are, helping them learn how to advocate for themselves, 
feel comfortable in their own skin, and ultimately that will lead them to be better and stronger students. So I think probably there's a little bit of a giving back uh, function to be wanting to help with middle school. It definitely is a special time. And um, kind of continuing along your path, then you um, landed your first head of school position at Presbyterian Day School, an all-boy K through eight school. Um, you know, I went to an all-boy Catholic high school, so I, I, have a, I, have a, I have a soft spot for single gender education. But what was it like, one, living in Memphis, Tennessee, but then two, um, at a K through eight um, all-boy um, school? Yeah, well, first of all, it was a K through six school, so even a little okay. younger. Yeah. Um, but moving to Memphis, we thought that we, since we lived in the South for 10 years, we thought we were moving back to the South. But what we, did, what we learned was that uh, the South that Memphis is planted in is very different from the South that Atlanta is. So, for example, you, it's hard to go around Atlanta and find hardly anyone who's from Atlanta. It's a very cosmopolitan. Uh, area where people have been transplanted there. Memphis, on the other hand, it's very hard to find anyone who's not from Memphis. So um, trying to learn and navigate that kind of uh, cultural um, phenomenon that was, um, you know, that took some time. We felt very welcome there though. People were very kind. This is my first time in all boy, all single gender education. I learned a lot about that and the research behind it. And, um, and had to use that to try to get our students there. It was a, it was a good sized school. So we had 600 students and we call it pre-K or PK uh, through sixth grade. So which made grades of about 80 students um, or so. And, uh, you know, little boys have a lot of energy and we felt that energy in school all day long. We had a very strong, intramural uh, program where we had, I mean, the stats are just wild. We had 12 tackle football teams. We had 22 basketball teams, eight soccer teams, and then track and cross country and tennis and golf. And, and uh, so uh, um, sports was a big, very big part of uh, growing up in Memphis and as was SEC sports were really King, you know, the town pretty much shuts down on Saturdays when, when the football teams are playing. But what, what I was able to determine is we didn't have much arts at the school. So I was able to really start a band. Actually, my wife, Stephanie, uh, started the band and, and all of a sudden we had 50, 70 kids playing band instruments in the school. And, and, uh, and then she started that band for the school where a lot of um, those most of the boys went to school, so tried to influence the art scene in Memphis a bit while we were there. Great. And before we transition to Milwaukee and USM, um, are, are you and your family barbecue fans? Do you miss the Memphis barbecue scene? Is it really everything that it's hyped up to be, or is it just all a facade? <laughs> okay, so barbecue is king in Memphis. It is, uh, I don't know, maybe over 100 barbecue restaurants. Um, everyone has their favorite. Uh, if, if you've been there long enough, your favorite becomes a little hole in the wall. If you've not been there long, it's one of the chains. Um, but I will tell you, we discovered Pops Barbecue here in Milwaukee. And they claimed that they were Memphis style barbecue. 
and they're uh, located in a, uh, a parking lot of a gas station. Yep. <laughs> Only open until 6 p.m. on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And it is outstanding. So if you want a taste of Memphis, head on over to Pops Barbecue. <laughs> I can attest. I've been to Memphis a couple times, and the barbecue scene is, is is amazing. I've never been to Pops. I've always seen it, and I have heard nothing but good things. But I'm going to put that on my list to get <laughs> over to. We might have a new sponsorship slide. <laughs> <laughs> And so then, um, Steve, um, you, you know, you you found out about the opening here at University School, went through that process, and, and it was ultimately selected and decided to come. Um, besides, you know, the the allure of coming back home for you, what was it about um, a University School in Milwaukee that really drew you back um, uh, to the Midwest? Yeah, we had um, we had been dreaming about trying to get to the Midwest. And I had been wanting to get back into uh, K-12 education space. I've spent 25 years in that space. And, and I, I loved my time with the little ones, but I was missing not having uh, older students on campus. And kind of just like Princeton, on the very same day, three people sent me Laura Fuller's retirement letter, uh, three different people from around the country. Um, and so that started that process which is a long process to look uh, to find the head of school position. Uh, but I was looking for a Midwestern K through 12 independent school of which there are not all that many. Right? Yeah. And I, I, I had had all this experience at large schools. Westminster's has 1800 students. Princeton has about a thousand students. And I knew that probably leading the K-12 with 200 students was probably not, I probably wouldn't know a lot of the issues that they might be facing. So trying to stick within my wheelhouse of larger schools, K-12 education. And um, there were actually quite a few schools um, the year I was looking for a position that fit that, fit that uh, model, but when I heard about University School of uh, Milwaukee, I just, you know, thought it sounded like the perfect fit for me. I just had to wait a year for everyone else to figure that out. So, <laughs> super excited to be here at the school. That's great. And so, I guess you know, growing up in the area, you probably had some perception or knowledge of the school. Um, what surprised you when you got here compared to what you had previously thought about university school? Yeah, I didn't have all that much connection um, with the school other than my stand partner in orchestra in Milwaukee. Uh, she was from university school and uh, she came right from school and wore a plaid skirt or something. And I just always thought that was kind of, didn't know what was going on there really. Uh, <laughs> Be, you know, at that time, being out in Waukesha, going into Milwaukee, that seemed like quite a bit of an effort and didn't know all that many who, people who made the trek in. Um, so I didn't have all that many preconceived notions about the school. When I became a candidate, though, I became uh, a student of the school. I read everything, watched everything I possibly could. And I, what I wanted to see was did the marketing materials of the school match up to the school that I found when I was in person? So 
uh, every school uh, tries to tell the story of who they are. And sometimes that story that they tell doesn't always match up with reality. That's been my experience. And what I found here was a school that believed in the common trust. And I, I read a lot about it. I saw some videos about it. I wanted to see if when I walked on campus, if, if I could sense that. And so I walked in the door and saw the common trust carved in granite right outside the middle school entrance. Um, I went on a tour, Mike Sweet gave me a tour, uh, my first tour of the campus, and I kind of peppered him with questions about, you know, what is this respect, honesty, trust, kindness, fairness business that really, that really permeates? And, you know, he gave me great examples of what it looked like in his third grade classroom. I kept trying to look for evidence, and I found it over and over again, which just got me more and more pumped about this opportunity here at USM. And so, and then, you know, obviously, July 1st, you started and you, and you started in the midst of a pandemic and everything, but tell us what have, what have the first couple of months been like um, for you as you kind of gotten caught up to speed and, and have started to kind of work with the people in the building? Tell us about kind of the first several months um, uh, in your tenure. It's been, it's been quite a ride to start with, to start school. It's, this is my 31st school year start, and it's unlike any I've ever experienced, and it's unlike any of us have ever experienced. Um, what I did find was a great team here in place who was, uh, who's been willing to do anything and help me understand everything about the school. And I really appreciate that. I've really divided my time between two kind of big areas. One is this reopening in the midst of the pandemic and all the COVID-19 related uh, procedures and expenditures and um, communication. That's taken a lot of time. So I kind of equated to a bit like the circus, one plate spinning over here and then I've got another plate spinning over this way, which is surrounding the Social, social justice end of things at school and trying to really um, listen deeply and hear the voices of many and to try to start to see where we are as a school around um, uh, social justice and equity and diversity and inclusion. So, uh, but when this plate over here starts to wobble about COVID, then I've got to go spin that up a little bit and then jump back over to the other plate of social justice. And um, I, I found that we have great opportunity. If we don't look at these times, these difficult times as opportunity, we're missing a great uh, chance to make our school better. So the COVID related things, really being able to dive deep into all of our systems so quickly and to get to know um, where some of those holes are in our school. Uh, that's been a big help. The social justice side, um, the the events of of this summer have given us a great opportunity. I think and to try to use that opportunity to see what kind of change we can affect. So, um, adding Gina Houghton, uh, changing her role as director of equity and student success to kind of launch this what we're calling Jedi Initiative of justice, equity diversity and inclusion 
and just seeing so many people come out and say, yes, we, I want to be an ally, I want to be part of this work, um, working with the parents of students of color and trying to attend SEEK meetings. Uh, all those things together have really encompassed my first, I think about 80 days I've been on campus at this point. Mm -hmm. And um, I've also tried to meet individually with every employee of the school. I probably have another month and a half of doing that. And that's been great to try to learn the school through the lens of many different people in the community. That's how I've been spending the start of my year. And that's a great segue, Steve, because I would say, you know, one thing that I've noticed, because, you know, Sly and I here get to kind of look at a little bit more of a whole school perspective, given our roles and opportunities to move around is, is just how present you've been in all different divisions and aspects of the school, because everyone knows you're very busy. But it's also great that everyone is kind of seeing you move around, check in, meet with different people. So what would you want people that don't get to see that? So our listeners, our parents, our students, maybe that aren't able, what do you want them to know about you here at the USM community? Because I think we're able to see it within this building, but with limited parent access, um, what would you want them to know about your, your first 80 days here at USM? Well, I think it's important that people know that I'm, I love students, and that's the reason why I came into this work, uh, even as I had a school. Uh, the classroom, the, the fields, the courts, the stage, they all feel me. And uh, it's, I need that energy and synergy of teachers and coaches working with students to you know, uh, help me do some of the very difficult things that have to be done in this job. I've set aside an hour of my schedule every day to be able to be present in the building. And so what present means is Sometimes it's out on the football field. Sometimes it's in a classroom. And the reason why I do this is because um, I want to see people in action so that I consider myself the chief storyteller of the school. And I need to have authentic stories to be able to tell. I can't tell your stories. I have to tell my stories. So being able to be in classrooms is really, has been really crucial for me and I know it's been a change uh, for people and it's not because I'm spying. <laughs> it's because, um, because I want to celebrate the great work that's happening in our school. So um, I'd love parents and, and all the students to know that I come to this work uh, as a, a love of teaching and learning and not really a love of administrating. So I think great administrators can be uh, great teachers. And so I, I want to be seen in that light here at USM. Great. Well, Steve, we, we appreciate that about you. We appreciate all of your time this morning. We're happy you're back in the Midwest, uh, even though there might not be as great of, you know, barbecue or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or East Coast pointedness, but we uh, we're very excited to have you. We appreciate your time, and we look forward to the uh, the year ahead and years to come. Thanks, Mike. I've been enjoying hearing your podcast as well, and um, I, I feel like this is a like a great launching point for me. So I appreciate you doing that. Thank you. We may have to bring you back on a reoccurring guest. Okay, 
Excellent. I have some special hidden talents that I haven't I haven't shared yet. So maybe some of those will come out, um, you know, in future episodes. That's great. That'll be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Steve. I appreciate it. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Special shout out to Steve for joining us today. Curious Mind is brought to you by University School of Milwaukee. If you want to learn more about the USM experience, please visit our website, www.usmk12.org. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to receive updates, resources, interviews, and more, and please rate us. See you next time.